These invisible forces seemingly still exist out there and we can't categorize what they may be. And isn't that just like a really awesome way to look at the world too? Today we're talking to one of our favorite guests and one of my favorite friends, podcaster Jim Perry, the host of Euphemet, a paranormal documentary series that explores the unknown and our relationship to it by talking with those who believe they've experienced the supernatural. But the mission of Jim's work has very little to do with what is real and far more to do with what the paranormal means to us on an emotional level. In this episode, we'll talk about Jim's work with haunted objects, our ideas about how the potential paranormal expresses itself to different people and different generations, and share some haunted experiences of our own that have made it all but impossible for us to live a purely skeptical life. I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith, and this is... American Hysteria. Hello, Jim Perry. How are you doing today? Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. It's cold outside now, but I am warm inside being here chatting with you. Chelsea, this is great. That's so nice, Jim. Thank you. I'm very, very hot in the closet that I'm recording in, so <laughs> sometimes I'll have to open the door a little bit and uh, just kind of like fan some, yeah, fan some air in like I'm sure. doing right now. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> So, Jim, for those of you who haven't heard Jim on our show before, Jim is the host of Euphemet, which is a paranormal podcast that deals with the human side of the paranormal versus uh, whether or not certain paranormal experiences are quote unquote real, because none of us really care about that here, at least. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, we worked together at the very beginning of uh, American Hysteria. And right before that, I worked with Jim on Euphemet. We went on a couple adventures together. (laughs) We did. And they're still adventures that I quote all the time. In fact, some of those are the first ones that I tell people when I'm trying to describe what I do for the show. (laughs) For whatever reason, it's like hardwired into me that I go directly to those ones that we did together. And I don't know. That's wonderful. Notable. We had a very good time. I mean, at one point we were eating expensive Italian food with a Bigfoot hunter (laughs) (laughs) who had just taught us all about the secret signs that Bigfoot leaves with sticks. and In the middle of a wilderness that we had no idea where we were. Yes, it was what we chose to do, and it was a beautiful thing. And he was listening to music really loud. We were speeding through the forest. It was beautiful. It was a really beautiful thing. He had a beautiful voice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kind, kind man. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and a UFO lawyer. I've kept in touch with Brian, by the way. Oh, you have? Yeah. That's so nice. How's he doing? Very good. He had a little bit of a health scare earlier this year, but he kicked out of it, and they just had sort of a... I don't know, a a Squatcher Summit of sorts, where a bunch of uh, folks from his Facebook group, these individuals that believe they can communicate with Sasquatch through sigils and formations and symbols and stuff. Uh, They were all out in the woods camping together for a weekend, and I was invited. I unfortunately was not able to attend, 
but I was trying to make it happen. I was going to try and go and experience that out there again. And you may think I'm nuts, but... Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds great. And it honestly is so nice to hear that Brian has a nice community like that, that he can be camping with in the woods. I... He deserves it. Okay, so today we're going to talk about haunted objects as a complement to our haunted doll episode that we did a couple weeks ago. And as like a one last push of Halloween, you know, it's like, okay, it's over. But I know you guys want just one more Halloween treat. So first of all, (laughs) Jim, will you explain to us a little bit of your experience Because you've experienced so many different things within the paranormal community, everything from alien abductees, which you talked about with us, to Bigfoot, to people who have entire museums of haunted objects. So specifically when it comes to haunted objects, can you give us an overview of what your experiences have been like? The experiences that I have had are very similar to what you've seen in horror movies. (laughs) (laughs) In which I will qualify that by explaining some situations, of course. But, you know, listen, there are items that are out there that for whatever reason, people believe they have experiences with that are startling, that are jarring, that scare the shit out of them that they can't rectify that they have no explanation for. And I was just lucky enough to have found two individuals that have an entire museum of haunted objects. And most of these objects are ones, not that they have carefully curated, but that have been handed off to them, have been left at their doorstep, have been, you know, sort of thrust upon them by people that just need some relief and need to take this object somewhere. And they feel if they just leave it out in the middle of nowhere that, you know, they're going <laughs> to, they're going to suffer the consequence of doing so. So that's how deep this gets with a lot of individuals that are out there. And we're talking about dolls. We're talking about paintings. We're talking about mirrors, all those sort of classical things that you would consider like, Ooh, that could be creepy. If somebody said it were haunted. Yeah. Well, Those are the things in real life that people have those relationships to. And we can wax poetic maybe about what that means, right? That like popular culture and what's happening in real life mirror each other so closely. And what's the deal with that? But, you know, so I've had an experience to engage with haunted objects directly. Mm. And on one occasion, I went to these individuals that own the paranormal museum and They showed me an item that was given to them by someone that was in distress that needed to find a new home for this, for this Nikisi doll. This Nikisi doll is um, sort of an African ritualistic statue. It is, you know, how shamans and medicine workers of tribes essentially guided themselves or helped guide them through spiritual practice. These were guards. They were helpers. And they built a personal relationship with these sages, right? Mm -hmm. So they have this statue up on a shrine. And at its feet are coins, candy, tobacco, uh, basically offerings that people have left for this statue while they've had it on tour or when people have visited. Because essentially it had grown a big relationship with those people who had experienced it and became a big part of their lives. So I said, you know what, what if I tried to interview 
this statue? Is that is that okay? And just thinking like it has such a close relationship to people. It's communicated over sort of ghost hunting devices in the past. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, what if let's give it a shot? Is that respectful? Is that okay? And they said, yeah, like definitely let's try it. And I gave the statue an offering. The statue's name was Billy. I gave it an offering. And we put out this little recording device that it only records when there's a frequency of sound coming through it that it can receive. It doesn't record anything else. If -hmm. there's a silent room, it doesn't record the room noise. It only records if there's spoken, you know, audible tones that can interpret and pick up. So I'm recording on my device as well. And I start asking this statue questions and they're very basic questions. You know, how do you like where you live? What is your opinion of the cat? (laughs) Things like this, like, you know, what do you, what do you think of your uh, surroundings? And you can see from the recording device, whether it's picking up sound or not by a light that will flash or not. And when the light is flashing, it means that it is actually picking up a signal and it's recording something. So I go through a series of about eight questions. The light never turned on. And we pick up the recorder and we play it and there's nothing. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, well, maybe he was just shy and maybe he didn't want to talk. And then the owner of the statue, or I suppose the, the keeper or the, <laughs> the host of the statue says, wait a minute, Let me, just, just give me a second. Let's, let's try it again. And Greg is his name, Greg Newkirk. He leans over and he whispers in the statue's ear something. And he puts the recorder back down. And I say, okay, let's try this again. So I continue to ask it several more questions. By the first question that I get out, though, that red light is shining on the device. Oh, my God. (laughs) And the anticipation, obviously, in me, suspecting that I'm not going to hear anything, like... You know, I am open-minded about all of this. I, I, I try to go in with an open heart too, but I don't know what I believe in, Chels. And like, I'm a very, you know, sort of logical, grounded person, I, I think. You are. That light gave me all sort of jitters because I was like, oh shit, okay, well, I got to really ask some good questions here because this thing could be responding to me. So I, I get a little personal. I ask them like, you know, what do you think about Greg and Dana, you know, the hosts Ooh, and drama. <laughs> yeah, and, and I say, so I, so I get a little personal. I ask a few more questions and we play the recording back. And after every single question, there is some sort of audible sound and some sort of audible message back to me. And I included that in a Euphemet episode. People can hear responses and that gave me such a chill down my spine, but also was so heartwarming because the questions and responses were very emotional. It made the the hosts sort of emotional in that moment too, because the statue was saying evidently very warm things about them. Like it felt protected. It felt safe. It felt bonded to them. And, uh, Whatever was going on in that room, the, the feeling, the energy in that room, it was, it was like palpable because you saw a relationship there. 
you, you saw a connection. And the more I thought about it, you know, there are other parts of the world. There are other belief systems out there. A very prominent in Japanese culture, actually. There's a certain belief system in Japan where everything has, has a spirit. You know, the, the toy that the child plays with for a few weeks that has a spirit contains a connection and we can share in that connection. And yeah, it was, it was a little emotional and, uh, and a lot scary at the same time. (laughs) I remember that episode for sure. And do I remember from this episode, a scream? Uh, yes. The object screamed at some point, right? Because it's still like, I can still feel the reaction I had to the sounds. Yeah. You know, you're not someone who is, I believe, making a forgery for fun or, you know, there's no trick of the mirror here. So it's, I know you so well and I know that's not what you're in the business of because it doesn't really change the story of what you do. It's not important to what you do. So it's not something that would make sense for you to fake um, because it'd probably be obvious. Um, But yeah. That's a great way to qualify it. Like whether anything pops off or not, it doesn't fucking matter to me, really. Yeah. It's only when it does, then it's like, oh, okay, well, this is a part of the story now. And then you have to question all of the things that you, you know, because again, for our audiences, you're not, you're a flexible skeptic, which is what I call myself. You know, you're Mm not, you want to believe in a way, but that isn't like with a confirmation bias. You would, you would be intrigued to know if, you know, if there were paranormal forces, but that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for the way that the paranormal expresses itself in the emotional. That's right. And, you know, for as much as I have experienced that I can't explain while doing this show, some paranormal enthusiasts would question, like, how are you still so, you know, reasonably skeptical about this shit with how much you've seen, you know? Mm-hmm. But I can't, uh, you know, I'm not here to evangelize anything. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. often that's the case within the spectrum of belief that exists within the paranormal, it's it's very weighted into, okay, well, you believe in everything or you don't, you know, believe in anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't think that is like really a way to go about these things because there are so many complex factors and nobody knows the answer to any of this. So it behooves you to like just be open to these experiences without, I, I don't know, getting lost in that quagmire of belief systems that, I don't know, like... Sometimes I feel like culturally we're supposed to either believe or not, and that's it. Yeah, and that's like also the antithesis of something like, you know, like the Socratic idea of the only thing you can know is that you don't know. Yeah. Um, And that's the only thing that can be true is that there is no truth like that type of that. And I think we both subscribe to that. And uh, the last thing I would ever want to be is some sort of ultimate arbiter of truth. You know, that's why even in the haunted dolls, you know, episode was like, I'm not going to tell you that haunted dolls aren't real. Why would I do that? What do I know that haunted dolls aren't real? Of course I don't. (laughs) Like there's a lot of good evidence to say that people like maybe Ed and Lorraine Warren had something to gain from saying such dolls were haunted. Right. But, um, you know, even that's up for debate, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and I want to talk to you about them in a little bit, too. Sure. Actually, you know what? Why don't we talk about them right now? Sure. Because they were a big part of our episode because we did, you know, we had to have our Annabelle section. And I have a hard time 
understanding exactly what's up with Ed and Lorraine Warren, because we can't say that ghost hunting doesn't owe them a debt of gratitude, quote unquote. I also have heard that they were sincere and I've heard that they were total charlatans. And I'm curious because it's not I'm not an expert in Ed and Lorraine. You know, they pop up in the satanic panic constantly, but it's not something where I feel that I have a full grasp on who they are. Do you have a better grasp on who they are? Uh, Probably not. Although I think I probably have a perspective on them. Okay. I think that and this is just total conjecture and my opinion based off of experiencing similar things. I think when some people have been granted a certain level of celebrity or notoriety, uh, they will do what they need to retain that. Mm-hmm. Even if it is, you know, compromising what would otherwise be a stellar reputation or uh, a quality of work or being honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think a lot of these occasions we're seeing, maybe even, I don't know, maybe they were good people. I'm not sure. I didn't know them. There was a lot of different stories out there about even their personal life that was maybe a little messy, right? Yeah, there's definitely some messy stuff yeah. about their personal life. And yeah. uh, you all can go out and look that up for yourselves if yeah. you want to. That's right. We're, we're That's not right. taking, a, we're not going to take away from haunted dolls. Yeah. Right. I mean, a lot of it, I think it could, both of those things that you said could be true about them in terms of were they a huge influence and very important to the ghost hunting community and ghost investigations and the template for so much of what was to come, whether that was written material or filmed material or basically just creating content, creating a product around this pursuit, then absolutely, right? Was everything 100% legitimate? Uh, not so sure, you know? I think we can say we are sure. Yeah. <laughs> that is one thing we can be sure about is that everything was not 100% legitimate. <laughs> More after this. You ever notice how finding time and energy to do the most basic human necessity, eat literal food, has become just another exhausting task jammed into our increasingly inhuman schedules? Well, your spring can be a little more stress-free with Factor. Factor will provide you with delicious, never-frozen, ready-to-eat gourmet meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Each week, you get to choose from a menu of 35 options to create your perfect breakfast, lunch, or dinner with absolutely no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. And Factor makes sure you get exactly what you want. You can tailor deliveries to your schedule and customize how many meals you want each and every week, and you can pause anytime. So just head to factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 and use code American American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code American Hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today. 
The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. And now, back to the show. So there you go. You know, I think with those guys, a bunch of things can be true at the same time for them. And they're complex individuals that uh, I have personally, I guess, not really looked too deep into their well of work and their stories just because of the things that anecdotally I've heard. And uh, I think no matter what, our approaches are very different and our intent and what we're looking for in this space is very different. So they're not even really influences on me. Yeah. Well, and you talked about the template that they created, and I think that that's the most important part of them is the legacy, not of their work necessarily, but of what they made ghost hunting about. And that was very much a Catholic framework. And so all of the ghosts or whatever, all of the paranormal experiences they were having were demons, right? They were satanic. And from that, it seems that most of the horror movies, in fact, that we watch, Amityville especially, which they were, you know, directly paid for, (laughs) it, it, it is about the satanic cult or it's about the pentagram in the basement or it's about those types of things. And so I am going to make the assumption, Jim, that you do not believe that haunted objects are full of Christian demons. (laughs) And I assume that a lot of the folks that you speak to also don't look at haunted objects or things that might contain a paranormal force as being demonic in the sense of a Christian framework. So what are some other ideas that you and the people you've interviewed have about what these objects are actually containing? Yeah, that's a great question. There's a lot of different sort of angles to go on that. And I mean, a huge discussion, but you know, I, I will say I have actually spoke with people on Night Drift, for example, that do believe they're demonic spirits. And of course, on that show, I'm profiling a little bit more wide spectrum mm-hmm. of ideas just so people know that, that there are more ideas about this stuff than sort of just yeah. my own or my friends. But yeah, I, I would, you know, what is this stuff? What are these energies or spirits or entities that are residing within these dolls right there there is this idea of non-human intelligence and ultra terrestrials and this idea was populated by an author john keel and other Others had sort of rapped about very similar things, but it's this idea that there have been sort of these non-human intelligences that uh, operate off of a different frequency than what we can really interpret, but that have always been here and that they use different tools to give us information or to be present within our lives. So that could, you know, potentially take form as a light in the sky. It could take form as a ghost or a cryptid, and it could take 
form as some sort of energy within an object. And universally, this energy or these entities, we're not sure of sort of what like any sort of agenda they may have. Uh, we're not sure what their intent is necessarily, but it is definitely a thought that is out there by those that, you know, more closely associate what their work to, to like sort of Fortianism, mm -hmm. like, you know, like Charles Fort. So, so there's an idea that out there that that could be it. But, you know, there's also this idea that instead of, you know, sort of demonic creatures, that there are sort of spirits that maybe we're not going to heaven per se as an afterlife, but that some form of life after death does exist and that there are various uh, forms that may take mm -hmm. you know there are a lot of uh, sort of mystical practices that also you know have different ideas about what these places could be you know the, the aether etc and sometimes you know they believe that we are visited from these places by relatives and sometimes even our past or future selves are attempting to communicate with us, you know, in these various ways. And so once you start thinking about things in those terms as well, and you're having an experience with some sort of object, you're, <laughs> it gets just even more confusing and a little more alarming for me, actually, uh, when not thinking about just like, oh my God, this is a Pazuzu or something. And you're thinking like, is this future me telling me something here? I don't want to meet past or future me. <laughs> I'm I'm plenty. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, and I think, you know, we were talking um, before the interview started about the expression of the paranormal depending upon whatever is happening in the world at that time. And I think what you're saying yeah. is, you know, I... I, again, have no idea what I believe, but that is so much closer to something that could potentially make sense to me is that we have no idea what these entities or what this energy is or what, you know, these spirits are, whatever. But what I think we can see very clearly is how the paranormal is expressing itself and bouncing itself off of psychically the events that are happening in the world whether they be war or you know changes in power or pop cultural developments you know we see ufos take on a different form based on reports telling us what they look like then maybe we do see something but we're able only to sort of see it through ourselves and through our own eyes and experience and anxieties i don't know that rings more true to me and it does not necessarily negate that there is a paranormal but it takes the paranormal with the understanding that it's still projected through our human experience and the things that we understand and can already comprehend yeah, right. And, and listen, it also places it places it in a place where, you know, sort of science can be considered mm -hmm. alongside it, you know, that there are potentially things that we haven't discovered yet that maybe sometime we will, you know, look at the history of discoveries that have happened about the world that we live in, or at least how we think we can interpret or understand the world we live in. You know, think about barometric pressure. I mean, there was a 
time where we didn't understand what like sort of air pressure was, mm -hmm. right? Until we were able to figure out that, you know, you mix mercury with water, you create a barometer or whatever. And now we can have some sort of scale for this invisible yeah. force, seemingly. These invisible forces seemingly still exist out there and we can't catalog or categorize what they may be or what they're influenced by. And isn't that just like a really awesome way to look at the world too? Yeah. And to, to look at reality in that, yeah, we're, we're players in this game, right? But there's a lot of other stuff happening around us that we can be curious about, that we in, can engage with. And I think that creates a more, I don't know, sort of a curious, informed public when they know that we don't have all the answers and that there's still answers that we can go out there and find or look for or explore. That's awesome. Yeah. And they can break the mold that has been created by people like the Warrens or yeah. pop culture or movies. It's like the paranormal gets to be so much more personal than the culture like makes it because it's like okay you have a ghost it's a dead person you have an alien it's a a visitor spying on earth you have a you, you have any yeah, right. number of paranormal experiences that start to be really cookie cutter like when you watch those paranormal shows it's it's sort of like kind of the same story but at the same time there are so many stories especially that you gather that feel completely original in a way and aren't completely based in what we already have to grab from. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, thank you for that. And I mean, I agree that, <laughs> listen, it's a whole other conversation to start talking about the paranormal in television. Now it's uh, <laughs> displayed, but you know, they're, they're they are uh, on a very, very thin spectrum of what all of this stuff could be and what, the investigators like serious investigators and you know thought leaders and thinkers that have explored this topic for a long time what those conversations have been i mean it's amazing to me that other things haven't been considered i mean i know one of you and i's favorite books is carl jung's book about flying saucers and listen you don't hear that material mm -mm. necessarily discussed intellectually through these conversations about what UAP are and when they're going to release the new don't even get me started on that <laughs> shit either I wouldn't dare I'm <laughs> sick of it but you know like that's a good example of like individuals that are waiting for the status quo to be confirmed for them mm -hmm. if, you, if you really think about it like they want the government who they don't trust anyway they want the government to give them answers about something they already feel they have the answers to right which is extraterrestrials are flying in craft that defy physics and that's what this is but we don't right, know that right <laughs> and the government isn't going to give, give us any other information than the tomes of research that have been scientifically done right. over decades by independent researchers and investigators so it's very strange that we're waiting for our reality to be confirmed in some way based off of those stereotypes and tropes. And it goes right back to what you're saying about expectations per things being haunted by demons, that every haunted object, you know, is is potentially nefarious and uh, tied to some sort of satanic cabal. Uh, it's all like sort of confirmation bias on securing our ideas of what can be real and what isn't real. And in some way that makes people feel safe 
in the mystery of it all, I think. Yeah. And it makes people feel safe. And it also speaks to our strong, strong confirmation bias, because if we ask the government to release the records, we're never going to trust the records. We're still going to trust our own experiences and research. And it's not going to necessarily change based on anything rational because these things aren't living in the rational world as we know it. Yeah. And so I think that that (laughs) I think that proof is such an interesting thing when it comes to the paranormal, because by default, it can't be proven. Right. So it's just uh, and I don't know exactly where I'm going with this, but it does feel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, I I think you're bringing up a great point here because I think it's one of the reasons this is going to be controversial. Uh I like finished my matcha and so I'm all real jazzed up. He's here. This is going to be a little controversial, but I do blame some paranormal culture for inspiring the conspiracy bullshit that we have to live through today with COVID deniers and such. Yeah. Because you're, you're looking at a, a faction of people and entertainers that for decades peddled this idea of a secret conspiracy against people largely based off of like knowledge of extraterrestrials, Area 51, all these different things that were so fun to talk about and think about and, you know, in particular in the 90s or whatever. Mm-hmm. That was the same culture that helped birth these same ideas of do your own research, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like the do your own research people about the vaccines and shit. Yeah. And it's terrible because it weaponized what I think was fun curiosity around things that weren't hurting people. Mm-hmm. And just took that template and that blueprint and we're like, actually, we're going <laughs> to we're going to use that in this way. And this is how you spin this out of control. And uh, yeah, it's it's terrible. But I think it's a it's kind of proof of that confirmation bias that we live through. And it's it's just the same with the satanic sort of demonic presences, the unseen forces battling it out, you know, for your soul. Mm-hmm. That, you know, it it shouldn't be surprising that all of that pop cultural onslaught of like the paranormal is satanic, the paranormal is demonic. And even people who aren't Christian will often say this is demonic. It's a demonic thing. I I don't know what that means, but it's a demonic thing. You know, back in my day, I've never been a Christian. But when I thought about things that I was afraid of, you know, I was like it felt like it came from the dark world of some kind. You know, and I felt like, for lack of a better word, it was something evil you know or something uh some residual evil from something terrible that somebody did while they were living or you know any number of ideas like that so i think it shouldn't be surprising to us that now we have the paranormal mixing so seamlessly with the conspiratorial uprising we've had which also was happening in the 90s by the way and was utilizing the paranormal so it's not a new relationship but it's not a relationship that was when we were growing up so strong like i never questioned i you know i was a ghost hunter in high school i went and uh i went to ghost hunting conferences and i job shadowed ghost hunters and i love that so much about you i know i know it's it was the coolest project in class um but (laughs) (laughs) you were so cool though oh yeah um i I liked to be alone uh, (laughs) do my ghost hunting um but there was never a time really where i was thinking oh this is demonic or this is connected to something christian or whatever you want to say i had my own ideas about it but i did I did really, really, really believe in ghosts. And I mean, I still believe in ghosts, if we're being real, because I've just had so many ghost experiences. Uh, 
And maybe that's just the old brain wanting to fuck with me there a little. And, that, and that's fine, too, because it's still fun. <laughs> Ghosts, come at me. I love you. Oh, geez. Now you've done it. Now I've done it. Now I they know. <laughs> they already know me. It's fine. <laughs> do, you, do you live in a uh, is your house haunted at all? You know, I'm glad you asked me that, Jim, um, because I was going to force you to listen anyway. And now I can <laughs> I can have been asked, which is always better. Um, so before we got our cats, <laughs> I feel that the house was haunted. Um, and now we can just be like, no, it was the cats. They're, you know, rolling around or doing oh, something. But before yeah. then, this is not explained by any animal presence. Uh, we had been hearing a lot of like weird sounds and things we couldn't really explain. And at one point, I got to a moment where uh, my partner Miranda was gone and I was home alone and I heard something in the wall, you know, like something like a little bit mm. of a scratching, but not like it didn't sound like a mouse necessarily. So I went and I got, you know, which is one of my favorite things in the world to do is get a glass and listen through a wall, especially if I'm listening to some kind of drama on the oh, other sure. side of a wall. Real Fantastic. Uh huh. But when it's when you're listening for something paranormal, uh, it can be very, very, very scary. So yeah, yeah. I, I popped the glass on the wall, started listening. Couldn't really hear much. Couldn't like kind of stopped when I started listening. Right, and then. I'm standing looking at the door to my office. So I'm kind of on a kitty corner wall. And then I turn my head to kind of like be like, okay, well, I'm done with this. I'm not hearing anything. And right when I turn, I feel something go right in my oh face. My and I heard oh. it. <laughs> I fucking heard it. And I reeled backwards in the room. Like I just yeah. like reeled backwards okay scared me so much yeah so then <laughs> a few days later first of all i found a rat in our yard that had been disemboweled so that was scary oh wow probably a cat but scary and then the scariest thing that happened which is when miranda and i were like okay we're not believers in these things, but we like got some sage and we saged the house. <laughs> we That's did my not know favorite move, by oh, yeah. the way. That's my favorite move when people are like, I don't believe in this shit, but uh, yeah, I'm going to do we're this. We're saging anyway. this bitch. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So we, then uh, the reason being that I was in my office, I smelled what smelled like something burning, like a burning rubber, and mm. I ran out. First, I ran to the kitchen because I assumed that like I left a burner on or something. And then that wasn't it. So I turned and right by our front door on our side table, there was a tall flame. Oh, my God. And it God. was like smoking. And I mean, like a, a flame about, let's see, like a foot and a half tall, a skinny Holy flame. Shit. And I ran over there like, what the fuck? You know, and I like slammed my foot on it and put it out with my foot. And it was a lighter that I had left on the table that had self emulated what and was on fire and <laughs> you know i looked it up on the online and it's like you know it's like the cheap crappy one that's see-through not a big uh -huh. and sure. uh so they were like yeah those those can sometimes do that like if x y and z happens but it's very very rare <laughs> you know and i was like this ghost might be trying to kill me oh my god and you know miranda's mom came over and she also is somebody who 
can feel things and Mm -hmm. told us that she was feeling this particular spirit wasn't necessarily bad or anything like that but you know after that we were like okay this is enough evidence (laughs) for us and uh we yeah we saged it and then we got some cats maybe the cats keep it at bay i don't know but uh yeah that was my most recent brush with the paranormal and yeah not good not a good one demonic sounds like it (laughs) yeah definitely demons 100 percent demon no um listen you know these um these events that we encounter definitely change our relationship with places right yeah and the spaces that we make make home in that we are to feel comfortable in they do create like a little bit of an edge to these places that we live in and a part of me thinks that well a part of me wonders why 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 that is and Mm -hmm. what the intention is behind that you know that's that's fascinating yeah (laughs) the lighter thing is crazy yeah Yep, I'm not even making it up. I could, but I'm, I'm glad not. nothing like burnt down. I know, or like did some kind of damage to the house because I rent. Oh my gosh. But yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was completely shocking for sure. It was, it, it, sh- it shook us. Well, getting the cats was a good call because yeah. there are folks that believe that you know cats can help control or monitor those situations because oh. they're sort of mystical beings on their own i mean i think they could be i mean i think my cat when it was a kitten like could teleport like (laughs) she would appear in one spot and then just be gone and outside and no one let her outside and we just like what is happening here and then i looked into like some lore and of course there's like this idea of familiars right like a witch Uh is familiar all these different things and cats had been used for that purpose for forever you know when i'm talking about like sort of that statue from way back at the first the program and how it was used as a as a, a guide or a guard for shamanic practice well cats were used that way forever mm-hmm. so they a lot of, some people feel that cats some cats are imbued with this mystical power still and so yeah maybe maybe they're protecting your house now and you just don't have to worry about now if you start seeing them you know, brandishing lighters, I would be, I'd be worried about that. But well, it's weird too because we found them outside our house at five weeks old, abandoned, just crying their little throats out. And I brought oh them inside, gosh. and so maybe they were sent, you know, yeah, by some other more benevolent force to protect now us we're talking. from the rat disemboweling house burning down yes. demons that was blowing in my face, right? Rude. Isn't that a rude thing? It was like it was like, oh I know how I'm just gonna like fuck with you. Just uh you know, it's right. just like oh, oh my yeah, God. it was crazy. More after this. Hey podcast listener, do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics and games? then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in Bigger Than Ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. And now, back to the show. It brings up a good point to Chelsea, like so many people have these experiences and they don't even want to talk about them because they're so spot on with what we've seen on movies and TV. Yeah. They're just like, no one's going to believe me that the ghost like 
made that sound that's on every horror movie ever. Yeah. You know, like, but that's how people interpret these things and it's how their experiences are, you know, yeah. from ghosts to Sasquatch to, to UFOs. It's, it's something straight out of cinema. It's crazy. And that brings, okay, so going back to sort of haunted dolls, when you mentioned other haunted objects earlier, you mentioned mirrors and you mentioned paintings. And Mm -hmm. I found that interesting because what it just suddenly triggered in my head was like, okay, so these are all objects that kind of represent humans, right? A haunted Mm -hmm. doll is nothing Mm -hmm. but, you know, a statue of a human. And that's been true Mm -hmm. in all cultures since the beginning of recorded time. And then mirrors, of course, which, by the way, I have a serious fear of mirrors. They're scary. Yeah, they're very, very scary. And, um, you know, paintings, assuming that the painting is a portrait of a person. But regardless, it's sort of imbued with the person that makes it. And I think that there's got to be something to the fact that so many of the objects we find ourselves believing to be haunted are kind of replicas in some way of ourselves yeah yeah that's really fascinating you know and how much of that is what we're sort of imbuing that with in searching for those patterns or or giving life to those things that are you know at the time they were created maybe the closest thing to staring at another human being right yeah and with the intentionality of people looking at things building that relationship is that building some sort of spirit on its own? And that's when you start getting into tulpas. Yeah. You know, and people should look those up. You know, tulpa mansi is really interesting because there's actually, I've been researching for the last couple of years, not even a couple of years, I think probably six or seven years now. Will you explain to us what tulpa mansi is? Yes, okay. yes. Uh, so for the last six or seven years, I've been exploring this concept of tulpa mansi, and that is with, that is a ritual process where with meditation and great intent and sometimes some sort of magical practice, individuals, you know, have the power to create spirit or to create an entity out of sheer will mm-hmm. and, and belief. And this is a very, very ancient tradition and an ancient belief. It's very close to the, you know, Kabbalistic golem that some will will know about mm-hmm. and that is you know creating life from just that spiritual intent and so you know there is an idea that that can be made you know many traditions around the world have this ancient belief and ritual that exist in some form today and for the last 6 or 7 years i've been watching this online community that exists for topomancers for now, like a community of topomancers who are building essentially their best friends, their lovers, better versions of themselves together, all with this power of intent. And these things will sometimes be placed into an object. They'll sometimes be in their own head and become a second identity that they use. Sometimes they'll be imbued into something digital and so we're seeing like we're starting to see like AI be used to create like sort of digital topomancy. Wow. And it's it's done very quietly. This is not something in the open. They're very like sort of you have to go pretty deep on online to try and find them at this point in time. But they're out there and it is a real thing based off these ancient traditions. And do they work together like if if someone were to say i want to create this 
romantic partner for myself? Would everybody work together to kind of will that at the same time? Is that what the community aspect is? Like, is yeah, there a ritual cases, together? Yeah. yeah, in some cases, they'll perform rituals together. In other cases, it's an individualistic pursuit that they just basically share notes on. Okay. Like, hey, you know, like, this is how I did this. And like, this is how this is going. And a journal of how that process is going through. And, you know, it, it is it is one of those things where one of the reasons I haven't sort of covered that story yet is because it's very, uh, that is a complicated thing to cover in mm -hmm. a journalistic way, I think, and yeah. morally. Because, you know, you're dealing with mental health situations with that as well, mm -hmm. in addition to those that are, you know, mentally healthy, I suppose. I don't know if I'm saying these things the right way, that are practicing it mm -hmm. or are doing this as a, a part of their magical practice. Right. Yeah. So anyway, a diversion yet just to say that when when you mention that, when you mention that, like, you know, the painting or the mirror, these things that for a long time, especially if they're historic and most of these objects that are haunted are old, are vintage. Right. They've had a, enough time for this idea of a human, of a spirit, of a presence to be like kind of really placed into it in a weird way. And so maybe that carries through with it. And I think that's a really interesting idea. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. And I mean, it brings me back to thinking about poltergeists and the story of the, what would you call like a malevolent entity yeah. that doesn't necessarily have a consciousness, but this this ball of energy that creates some kind of destruction coming from classically the emotional turmoil of a young woman or a young yeah. girl and mm -hmm. i think that that's a trope right it's also mm -hmm. something that was an experience of my own when i was in mm -hmm. high school and i just i had a lot of ghost experiences and looking back it feels like there was an element of my emotionality and my own struggles that I was going through kind of projected out. And, you know, things of mine would go missing. They'd end up in weird places. They'd be missing for months at a time and then end up mm. on my bedside table. I'd wake up. My cell phone was thrown across the room. I was actually touched by a ghost at one point, like hit on the forehead really hard, you know, like just like three times, like wow. tap, tap, tap as I'm laying in my bed, just like stuff I that really is still in my body right these yeah. things and and i don't i would never say that that was a ghost i would never say i created a poltergeist but i don't know how to explain those things and it's just interesting right that there is this lore that already exists that perhaps i was aware of perhaps i wasn't but i think it's part of you know why i was so interested in ghosts at that time was it was happening and yeah. it was confusing me. And, you know, both my parents have always believed in ghosts uh, very strongly. So, you know, I had a template there for that to express itself in a certain way. But, yeah, it is something that is potentially a psychological projection. And that's just as interesting as the paranormal in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, imagine if we found we had we all had the ability to psychologically project these seemingly separate entities from us <laughs> yeah and they could affect the world without our own touch yeah, right. yeah. It's and maybe amazing. that's what the internet is you just type a comment yeah. send it out there exactly. and like it ruins somebody's whole week yeah <laughs> we recreated an ability that has laid docile in us for millennia is what we did it's the internet 
Oh, yes. <laughs> An ancient ritual of sacrifice. The weird thing about computers, though, now is that when we talk about mirrors, right? Yeah. And how creepy those are. You know, one of the haunted objects that were in the possession of these curators of that haunted museum was a black mirror. Mm. And these obsidian mirrors have been used in magic forever as a channeling device, Mm -hmm. as a divination device. Basically, magicians and witches would, you know, sit with a soft gaze towards this obsidian mirror until basically things started to take shape in this mirror around them. It would almost open a different portal. And what's strange about this is that in the modern world, I'm looking at a 24-inch Apple monitor right now. Yeah. And I'm looking at myself in it. It's not on right now. And it's just, I just have a fucking black mirror staring at me all day long. And I'm not even conscious of that. And we have our laptops open. And sure, there are, you know, uh, projecting an image through these pixels, right? But they're projecting through a black mirror this entire time. So my question is, what, what is the potential of something going on there without us even realizing it that we're staring into these ancient divination devices? That is, <laughs> yep, that's something. <laughs> that is something. So think about that when you're doom scrolling. Yeah, yeah, just turn off your screen and stare and see what you see. And it's probably going to be less scary than what you see on Twitter. <laughs> oh, boy. Nice. Well, I think that that's actually a pretty great place to stop unless you have anything else you wanted to talk about that we haven't covered i don't i just uh am excited that we got a chance to talk about all this stuff i feel like we did a pretty i don't know like a a, a great precursory look at the implications yeah. of haunted objects and a little bit of the history and a little bit of things to be open to but also maybe think a little harder about yeah, I think yeah, I think that this this was a great conversation as it always is with you and I just appreciate your point of view more than almost anyone's just cuz I love talking about the paranormal and I love Aww. like allowing myself to kind of step into that uh, for a little bit because we don't know anything and if anybody tells you they know, they don't know. <laughs> Is that a cool PSA? But yeah, so thanks again so much for coming on the show, Jim. And we will have you back soon, I dream. Thanks, Chelsea. Love you, bud. Love you, man. (laughs) This was American Hysteria. Make sure you listen to Euphomet, E-U-P-H-O-M-E-T, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want more Haunted Doll content, head to our Patreon for a new episode of Hysteria Home Companion, where producer Miranda and I meet a succubus doll from eBay, learn the history of wax museums, and look at my favorite episode of My Strange Addiction, Addicted to Raggedy Ann and Andy. You'll also get early and ad-free episodes. That's patreon.com slash American Hysteria. This episode has sound design by Clear Camo Studios and was produced by Miranda Zickler. And as always, I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith. Thanks, as always, for listening, and I hope this was a gentle comedown for you from the holiest time of Halloween. Have a great week.